Hello and welcome to Quarter Time Podcast. I'm Lucy G. And I'm Lucy P. And we're here to bring you all the netball goodness you never knew you needed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to part two of our quad series mini series. Loose quad series is over. Can you even sum up <laughs> what you made of it? I actually don't think I can. I think <laughs> I went from sort of pure elation to utter devastation and everywhere in between in the space of about five minutes. So, yeah, I'm I'm still emotionally recovering, actually. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I lost about 10 years of my life watching this <laughs> test series. It was such a, a roller coaster. Um, yeah. yeah, can't wait to digest all of it with you today. Mm-hmm. Um, don't forget for everyone listening, there's still time to catch up on part one of our Quad Series miniseries with Stacey Marinkovic and Nolene Tarua, which was really great conversations. And I think actually we'll provide for quite interesting listening like listening back retrospectively yeah. I was um, I was just thinking that the other day about some of the stuff that they were talking about really came to fruition so yeah do check that out yeah for sure uh, so Luce what have we got coming up on today's episode Okay, so today we will be going through our three-word summaries of all eight games from the 2023 Quad Series, and then we're going to take a more detailed look at the bronze medal game and the final. We'll also name our players of the series from each nation as well. Then we'll hear from, guess who it is, Norma (laughs) Plummer, all about being back at the helm of South Africa after the dismissal of Direct Badenhorst, her reflections on the Quad Series and building towards the Netball World Cup. As we did with the Quad Series mini-series last year, we really enjoyed being able to bring you guys conversations with all four head coaches. However, unfortunately, we haven't been able to secure some time with Jess Thurlby yet, so we will be digesting some of the action from an England perspective ourselves later on in the episode. We will endeavour to bring you a chat with Jess if possible and release it as a cheeky little part three of this (laughs) mini-series, getting slightly larger maybe like a medium (laughs) series i guess make sure you keep an eye out on our socials to be in the loop with any updates okay so uh before we dive into our three word summaries i just want to do a massive shout out to tamsin Dai, pam and ebony who provided us with some incredible chat amazing analysis Mm. and quite literally kept the game alive um when we had a few technical difficulties over in south africa and also a big shout out to the amazing South Africa crowd. Although sometimes they were few in number, spotted a few empty seats in the arena, they really filled that stadium. There was so much energy, like such a good vibe. So big mm. shout out to them. Yeah, and it really gave us a preview of what it's going to be like come the Netball World Cup. And actually, I think it was kind of good in a way to have those technical difficulties now. Now, get yeah. Get them out of the way, the teething issues all sorted. And then, yeah, we're rocking and rolling come July. Yeah, for sure. So, Luce, take it away with the first game. Okay, so first game was South Africa versus New Zealand, with New Zealand taking the win 61 to 41. And for my three-word summary, I said, get it, mamas. It was so good to see new mums, Carla Pretorius and Jane Watson, back on Hawk, back on Hawk, back on court, (laughs) causing havoc as per usual. And this game was fairly even apart from a really shocking 20 to 5 third quarter in favor of New Zealand I think 
South Africa just forgot how to play netball, I think, briefly in that quarter. Mm-hmm. And the mid-court of, for South Africa, a huge number of general play turnovers, six each for Masomi and Chawani. Overall, though, not a bad showing from South Africa, given they haven't played any of the top three nations since the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, for sure. And I think as well, no one quite really knew how South Africa were going to come out with all the changes that they've had recently. So yeah, pretty, pretty good start from them. Next up, we had England versus Australia with Australia taking the win at 61 to 55. And I've gone for keep your cool. Even though England got out to a super fast start, the Aussies, mate, they are just not phased by anything. Like they keep their cool unflappable yeah. for sure any one of them could perform open heart surgery with no training in my view <laughs> I mean I'm not going to volunteer to be the dummy for that but, <laughs> but yeah they're just insanely cool-headed um, England were leading by nine at one point and then went down by seven we just have to be better at keeping our composure in these key moments and, and take a leaf out of the Aussie book I think Liz Watson has reached God tier now. She was top five for absolutely everything that you could possibly be rated for. (laughs) And she almost had more feeds single-handedly than Halsby, Metcalf and Alison combined. Liz had 41 and those three combined had 50. I mean, wrap your head around that. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was a... a bit of an annoying game because you felt like there were moments where England could have really done it and taken it to them but Aussie's just yeah way too good next up it was South Africa versus England 46 all um not much to say about this game apart from <laughs> three word summary just absolute chaos I mean this the chaos started before the game which was obviously the big news departure of Joe Hart and back to Australia mm. to rehab her injury also Ellie Cardwell was rested for this game. So that's the sort of background chaos. On-court chaos, individual errors for the Roses, eight general play turnovers to Metcalf. Absolutely not what we're used to seeing from her. And just not excelling under the pressure. I think Mm. South Africa, they'll just die for the ball. Like they will just go for everything. I don't think that they're individually better players. I mean, you could argue there's occasional matchups, mm. but I don't think they are individually. But they played with so much more heart in this game and there's, there's just this desperation and real drive to win. Housby benched for some of this game and a brand new combination of Cheen and SDL on court. Don't think it worked at all. Think it was Mm-mm. left out there for way too long. Pumza Maweni sent off with 70 seconds to go and we had the chance to win the game and then obviously absolutely stolen by Carla Pretorius. And for me, that is just a massive failure on England's part not to execute that game in the crunch moments. You know, that's when the pressure was on and mm-hmm. that's when we needed our big guns to stand up and they absolutely didn't in that situation. Considering England beat South Africa 71-47 to 47 in the quad series last year, poor result for the Roses. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, if you watch that that clip of the end of the Pretoria Steel, like the amount of times I've watched that is outrageous. But <laughs> yeah, I, I just sort of look at it and I, I question, and I'm not putting this solely on Nat Metcalf's door by any stretch of the imagination, but I think Nat of, you know, 12, 18, 24 months ago, she would never have given that front ball to Housby. She should have just put it over the top into Cheen, who was holding beautifully. It's that decision-making and the 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 way that that's just gone downhill that's what's baffling me yeah but I also think it was like why were why were we in that position where we were you know level or one goal ahead at the end of that game like we should have put that game to bed in the first half Mm -hmm. without a doubt yeah 
yeah pure chaos uh, so following that game was Australia New Zealand with the Aussies taking another win a really narrow one 59 to 57 and I've gone for ring the changes mm. I think it could have easily gone the way of the ferns it was such a nail biter and some really really high quality netball on display Knowles made nine changes in this game yes you heard me correctly nine changes and all 12 players got on court for at least 25 minutes. Stacey, in contrast, seems, I don't know, just more settled, like didn't have the same uh, ambition to make that many changes. They only made one in the end, which I think is an indicator of kind of where they are in their process. Like it was two very, very different displays of, of thinking. But I do have to wonder, you know, in Knowles We Trust, is she hiding an ace up her sleeve? Like, I'd, I can't, who knows? I think so, because I think that every time you put out a combination, you're giving the opposition time to see what they can do. And if you're hiding something and you bring it out in the game, the the opposition don't have enough time to say, okay, this is what they're doing. This is how we can break it down. So I think that there is, I think there's something we're going to see. I, you know, obviously it's a long way away now and there's a lot that can happen between now and the uh, World Cup final. But if it is Australia and New Zealand, I would expect an unexpected from Knowles that uh, maybe helps them get over the edge. Yeah, it's incredible how she builds this belief in everyone. Like everyone is like, yep, in Knowles we trust, <laughs> yeah. to the grave, follow her into battle. Like, Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. If she told it's me amazing. to jump off a cliff, I absolutely would do that. Yeah, I'd be like, how high do you want me to jump first? Like, <laughs> what's the trajectory you would like? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, she's that kind of inspirational figure, I think. Mm. Moving on to the next game, which was England versus New Zealand. England 45, New Zealand 55 in this game. And I said, seize the opportunity. Mm. England were actually ahead by one goal for around three and a half minutes into the final quarter and then just completely squandered the lead. It reminded me of the last quarter of the Quad Series final last year. Oh, God, that was painful. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, terrible, vividly. terrible scenes. And actually the scoreline, I think Jenny Wood said it in commentary that it flatters New Zealand slightly. Like yeah. they, they didn't win most of that game by 10 goals. They won in the last yeah. few minutes. Obviously the scoreline is what everyone looks at at the end of the day, but it does flatter New Zealand because England were well in it and the defence were incredible from the Roses, but the attack just way too wasteful. 25 general play turnovers. Ooh. 25. The Ouch. Ferns with 10 intercepts. And I think uh, towards the end of the game, particularly, they just put the fear of God in the England attack and they weren't, they were just too hesitant. You can't yeah. do that. I think the England attack is one of the key talking points from this entire series, really. Like something is not clicking there. And I, we really need to unpack that quickly. <laughs> mm. Seeing as we have no more international games now until World Cup, like that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And nobody playing together in combination now. I feel like the cry and smile emoji <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> That's kind of just how I feel. Um, it'll be fine. Or like the other meme of the dog in the burning house. This is fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what Red says, this is fine. This is fine. <laughs> That's what she, is, all probably. England fans right now. It's fine. 100%. Everything's fine. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. It'll be good. It'll be good. We're going to come back and win the World Cup. <clears throat> anywho um 
Moving on, uh, next up was South Africa versus Australia, with Australia getting a really decent win at 65 to 48. And I've gone for consistency is key. The Diamonds won every quarter by at least three goals, and they were able to rest Wood and Watson completely in this game and still get an almost 20 goal win. I mean, what does that tell you about the depth? And the talent that that nation has is outrageous. There was immense pressure from the Aussie midcourt and the defence just really wore South Africa down. And then in attack, you know, the Diamonds were on a 79% centre-pass to goal rate compared to South Africa's 61%. So across the court, they were just formidable. Aside from a few uncharacteristic errors from Paige Hadley in this game, the Diamonds really just got the job done and they just kept their foot on the pedal throughout the whole game. Yeah, it was very much a case of, oh, we'll win this game and then it'll be over. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, there's there was no question that they yeah. wouldn't win that game. I don't think at any point, no matter how gutsy South Africa played, and I think they did put a lot out on court, it just, they always looked, the Diamonds were in control. Yeah, it's basically the complete opposite to any of the England games where you don't know if we're going to win, lose, leave the court. Draw, quite literally, yeah. Who knows, like, it's um, anyone's guess, but... Yeah, keeping us on our toes, mate, keeping us on our toes. Uh, Talking of England, then we'll talk about the bronze medal game, which England obviously took 49 to 42 uh, against South Africa. A three-word summary, I would say we were fortunate. (laughs) I think, I think that's fair. <laughs> I think probably that's fair to say. Uh, we didn't play well, in mm. my view, for, for large portions of the game. And we got away with a lot of stuff. So three key points, I would say. Number one is a bit of bib roulette going on. Mm. Who is our starting seven? What, you know, what what was the purpose of Fran Williams coming on for the first half of that game? not having a great game and not having much impact, being benched for then Fadoji to come on and come to the rescue effectively. I just worry about that to me doesn't seem the right way around of doing it. I think you put your starters out to win the game, put it to bed at half time, then you bring the players on that you're testing for experience. I mean, I can only assume the only logic I can pull from it is that you know, we hadn't seen much of Fran this entire series or even the, the series before. So I, I guess Jess has given her the opportunity to put her hand up for selection for World Cup. But mm. like they were saying in commentary, you want to go into World Cup and this break, international break that we're now going to have full of confidence. You want to play your starting seven. You want to know who that is. And to start Fran in goal defence over Fumi in... No, like, I, I don't think so. Don't not based it. on current form at all. Mm-mm. I mean, I, the other thing, though, is obviously that fourth defender spot from an England perspective is pretty much up for grabs. And so th- there needs to be opportunities for people to show their stuff. But I think that's got to be done before now. Yeah, this is not the game to do it in. It mm-hmm. should have been done. It should have happened in the Jamaica series. It should have happened in the games prior to this. This, where we're risking not meddling at all and having our worst finish since what, 2016, 2017. Like, this is not the one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Secondly, then, in terms of South Africa, uh, just to take a bit of a look at them, they had a bit of a roll of the dice with their goal attack in the last quarter. 
Do you think it possibly cost them the game, actually, you know, in terms of that late change? I think Talliard's been fantastic this series and she's been kind of a revelation for South Africa. I think everyone was thinking when Bradman went down at the Commonwealth Games, like, oh, God, who's the next one? But actually, you know, they're, they're churning them out, which is pretty good. And finally, I think back to England, we're just sort of left with a sense of like, what's next? You know, it was almost a bit of a hollow victory. I think there's a sense definitely from us that, you know, we're what, like, what, what is it we're aiming for now? Because there, you know, there's concerns that semi-finals are going to be hard to come by with some of the other teams that we've been playing and and whether we're able to put out that consistency of performance. I think it absolutely will be hard to come by and, and like you said obviously the goal is to win the World Cup like for every nation you know well at least the top four or five nations but I have no idea how we're going to get there most importantly like yes the end goal might be winning but what on earth are we doing to prepare ourselves to to get to that point I just Mm. I'm not seeing it at the moment I don't understand the logic and some of the decision making and it's it's concerning as a Roses fan to not be taken along that journey with the team so yeah yeah, I I just I just don't know (laughs) yeah overall I think just left a bit sighing as a Roses fan I don't know but I'm gonna flip this positively and then I will Mm -hmm. stop talking (laughs) before New Zealand won the World Cup in 2019. They also placed third at the Quad Series. Ah, well, there you go. We're going to come back. So, based on that one very small piece of unrelated (laughs) evidence, England (laughs) are going to win. I mean, I'm manifesting it into existence is what I'm trying to do. But I think it's very easy to focus on England and all of the problems that they had in this game and throughout this whole series, to be honest. But I don't think you can take away from South Africa, like like we said earlier in um, the three word summaries, the turnaround that they have had from, you know, the Commonwealth Games squad that we saw to this squad that we saw in this test series is incredible. Absolutely incredible. So yeah. you have to give credit where credit's due. Like, yes, England were poor in patches. And I think that goal attack change probably lost the game for South Africa. But boy, did they bring it. Mm, yeah, and South Africa have always been a bit of a bogey team for England. Mm. And so that gives me real concerns when it gets to the World Cup. Obviously, they're playing on home soil. They're really, you know, buoyed by that. You can see the amount of energy and optimism in the group. And yeah, Coach Norma. It's one of the greatest netball brains ever, arguably. Yeah, for sure. So moving on to the final. Again, this was some amazing netball it was an Australia win 56 to 49 and my three-word summary is top class netball like it was it was some of the best netball that I've probably seen for a little while I think that's fair to say and again three key points from the final for me first one is the Aussies running out a seven like we said earlier they are just so slick they're so settled and They're just looking somewhat unbeatable at the moment, which is concerning. Yeah, also, uh, just looping back on that, 60 minutes, all of them played 60 minutes. They they Mm -hmm. didn't make a single change in that game. The fitness that you have to have is unreal. Mm -hmm. The second key talking point, we can't look past that mass umpire confusion. This... (laughs) 
some of the funniest stuff I've seen <laughs> in ages. I was wetting myself. I could not believe it. A toss up, people. A toss up in international netball. What what even happened? What happened? <laughs> I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen it, do go onto social media and you'll be able to find it easily. It's it's all over everywhere. Lots of people have clipped up. There was like this arm wrestle going on in the corner. Econacio shot the goal. There was a contact. Courtney Bruce nearly took out the umpire. It, there was a lot going on, to be fair. But on the video, you can see that the umpire raises her hand to indicate yep. the goal and the centers were running back to get ready to take the next goal. So it obviously something happened in there or there was some kind of confusion. Obviously, there is a lot going on in these games. And we can't, you know, we can't take that for granted that being an umpire at this level is extremely challenging. But this was a major boo-boo. And the fact that they didn't go to the technical officials and say, did you just write down a, a one for a goal scored? Like, mm-hmm. is it an Australia centre pass now? Or like, that that could have been so easily avoided. I, I don't understand why they weren't consulted or the third umpire, because right. it was unlucky that Gary Burgess wasn't watching this happening. But yeah, doesn't look great. The video as well, you can also see that very clearly the goal went in. Uh, I Yeah, very, very odd and kind of it's just uh, odd. like embarrassing I guess for the for the umpires involved and for the sport itself however I will caveat this by reminding people that umpires are essentially volunteers they get their expenses paid and that's it um and I think not to use that as an excuse but that is part of the context of this discussion that we can't forget um but it's just it just sort of highlighted to me like a real uh like a, a loophole, I guess, or yep. a, a, a gap in our rules or something. Like- for sure. There's a there's a need for World Netball to look at this and say, how do we reform so that something like this doesn't happen in the World Cup final? Because yeah. it's clearly an issue. Or also, like, you know, Gary talks a lot in particular in the episode that we did with him last season. He talks a lot about using common sense as an umpire. Mm. So, could we not, even though it's in the rule book that if you're if an umpire is unsure um like which way it went, they have to do a toss-up, could we not use a bit of common sense and say to the players, did the goal go in? Because they can't deny it. Like, and I don't think they would deny it. They've got enough I integrity not would. to. They wouldn't, of course yeah. they wouldn't. It was just wild. And and I think Anso Kemp is copping a, a lot of slack for it as well, when I think we just and she'll it. know she'll know that she, she will you know, she'll be mortified yeah and so that and that is awful because you just think like everyone's made a boo-boo but we need to make sure that that doesn't happen again <laughs> type yeah, thing <laughs> but it is it is what it is we move on now highly entertaining um, and, and luckily New Zealand won that you know just about to say because I was thinking oh crikey imagine if it had, then the game came down to one goal and no netball karma yeah, yeah. And so my third key talking point from the final was the body on body. And I think this this question of physicality has been spoken about a lot in this test series in particular, but also in the Jamaica series. And I think Tamsin made a, a fascinating point in the post-match interview about, you know, is this the way that we want our game to be played? And I'm I'm not gonna join like the um Courtney Bruce pile on. However, because I do think she cops a fair lot of of flack from people for her physicality, but quite often I think she's on the same level as a lot of other defenders, but gets picked yeah. on it more. 
However, I will say that particular penalty I thought crossed a line. And I think there was a point where both her and Nwecki were given as good as they got. There was a bit of push and shove between them. They were both guilty of that. But it was that elbow around the front of her neck. And if you watch it on slow-mo on replay or even watch it fast, it's, you know, it's the same thing. There, that elbow comes down and that is what floors Nweke. And then that is why Courtney then falls over afterwards. And that was entirely unacceptable to me. And I might make myself a little bit unpopular saying that, but I think no, she crossed the line in that instance. I don't think there's any need for that kind of like MMA style tackling <laughs> like or like grabbing of the... Yeah, it just, it doesn't give netball a good rep. The whole point of netball is it's a, a sport of fair contest mm. and grabbing grabbing around the neck we're all grabbing someone's arm not mm. just specifically saying Courtney Bruce in this scenario though she does get pulled up for it often I agree with you about other defenders also getting pulled up for similar actions that isn't on yeah. I don't think and, and I don't think that's what we want in our game because there is so much to like about netball because it's a fair contest sport and and we don't want to get into the realms of tactically like playing for the call from the umpire and the, all the theatrics yeah. and the you know yeah gunning for an oscar and all of this kind of thing like we you know we we don't need that in the game but like the most annoying thing is is that she's so talented she doesn't need to resort to stuff like that but i will sort of balance it out by saying a lot of the time i think she receives an unfair amount of criticism for it when a lot of our other defenders do it as well but i think other defenders are able to hide it better <laughs> i think she's slightly more um like obvious about her contact sometimes um and i will but- also say that in her defense that shooters give as good as they get for, for sure. sure but all the body on body aside um, the game as a whole, I thought Conan and Wood were outstanding. Mm. I think they had this, and it surprises me because I don't think we see this same, uh, like the same level of performance from them at club level as we do mm. at international. But they just had this great pulley system partnership. There was always one of them to release that pressure in attack when you know Kiwis were either had a great zone or a great person on person marking it was just incredible and Steph Wood I'm surprised that Karen Berger actually wasn't put back into goal defense to try and shut her down because Mm. like Kath said in commentary she just had all the space in the world it was she was phenomenal yeah outstanding in this series I have to say yeah and then the final thing that I'll say on this because now I've been talking forever (laughs) is that (laughs) I'm really surprised that Knowles didn't make the changes that she made a lot sooner it's not often that I question her decision-making, but on this occasion I did. I thought it was way too late. Yeah, I have to I have to agree on that actually as well, despite saying I would walk off a cliff if she told me to. <laughs> I did I did sort of think, mm, I would have liked to see that. I think I liked the injection of Sooners and I think that they needed something different. Also, where was Terry Arva in this game? Well, she just came on far too late. Like we know she has that amazing quick release and her connection with Nweke is is outstanding. Yeah, yeah, I think the time that you bring her on is after the halftime break when Stacey Marenkovic has just gone and said, right, Gina Crampton's doing this, Gina Crampton's doing this. And then you say, surprise, it's Terry Hammer. Like like that's it, right? But I don't know. We'll, We'll see some magic, I think, from these two teams at the World Cup this year. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so we're going to move on now to discuss our player of the series. We've gone for one for each nation. Luce, you're up first. Who have you got? Okay, so for New Zealand, I have gone Grace Wecky. 
Honourable mention to Kate Heffernan, who I thought was excellent, and mm. I'm loving her in centre. I think we've been waxing lyrical about her for the last couple of seasons, mm-hmm. but Grace played uh, last year in the quad series, only 72 out of 240 minutes. She was very green at that oh, wow. stage okay. one year ago, and she shot 43 from 52 across the mm-hmm. across the tournament. This year, she was the only silver fern to play every single minute, 240 minutes, and she shot 166 out of 180 at 92%. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Those are some big girl numbers. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, unbelievably strong in the air, copping all sorts of elbows to the face, etc., mixing up her game, just keeping so cool and calm under pressure. I mean, I know people have probably drawn the comparison, you know, is she the next Janelle Fowler? And I think it's undoubtedly the case that she is. But I just want to reflect on her progression from last year at the Quad Series, where I think she mm. got eaten up a little bit by Jeeva. She yeah. didn't have a great game. She, she was shaky on the shot. To now where she's just completely in her ascendancy is incredible coaching of a young player and frankly terrifying as yeah, an England in, fan. In fact, the matter is she wouldn't have actually played that many international games. So like you say, the growth from last quad series to this is unreal in the words yeah. of Econacio. Unreal. Yeah. <laughs> and for England, I actually really struggled with England Apart from the obvious one, who obviously is going to be the obvious, yeah, <laughs> my player of the the series, everyone else kind of came in and out because I really did look. I looked at the stats and I thought, okay, obviously we love Fadoji, we rave about her on the pod all the time, but was there anyone else who really stood up consistently in this series? And I don't think there was because everyone kind of faded. Mm. You know, Imogen Allison had moments and then came out. Metcalf again, Housby, Cardwell, all the usual suspects. No one was as consistent, I don't think, as Fumi. She had seven gains, four intercepts, five deflections against Australia. And she started her game in jail, in Cognitra. In jail? Yes, yeah, I saw somebody say that. I think it was Amar Bwazi. It was Amar, yeah. Fumi out of jail, um, which I loved. Game two against South Africa, three gains, one intercept, two deflections. Not such a strong game from her there. I thought that was, you know, maybe I'm, I'm being a bit... Um, like hyping her up too much by saying she was super consistent, but still decent outing. Game three, six gains, one intercept, seven deflections against New Zealand. Game four, six gains, four intercepts, six deflections. And she only played 35 minutes in that game against South Africa. So just re- recapping on that, six gains, four intercepts, six deflections in 35 minutes. Extremely good. Crazy. And there was a really interesting comparison of Bruce versus Fadoji's stats on Twitter from Gary Patrick Brown. And it just go and check it out. It's really, really good. Just highlights how dangerous she is for England and how she absolutely has to be on the court. And Tamsin spoke a lot about individual brilliance and how we're relying on that a bit too much uh, defensively. And I think that Tamsin's completely right. We should be building the defensive structure around Fumi. Unquestionably unquestionably and I think the the Bruce Fadoji comparison thread from Gary I found fascinating because you have to take into account the number of caps that Fadoji has compared to the number of caps that Bruce has Bruce is far more experienced on the international stage she's been to those big competitions she's Mm -hmm. won a Commonwealth Games gold medal and yet Fadoji's stats are, are already fairly similar and she's only what 20 years old 21 years yeah. old whatever she is mm-hmm. like 
it's the same as Nweki, the 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 potential for them. They are both going to dominate world netball for the next 20 years, hopefully. Years. Right? 20 years. No, 20 years. They can't retire before 40, I'm afraid. <laughs> oh my God, imagine. Okay, maybe 15, maybe 15. 10 to 15 yeah, yeah. years. Like, 10 to 15 years. Oh, 10 to 15 years. All that Fidoji goodness. I can't wait. Sign me up. Yeah. Tamsin's right though. Wrap her up in cotton wool because yeah. we need her. Yeah. Yeah. Who did you pick, Luce, for your players of the series? So for South Africa, honourable mention to um, Nicole Talliard. I thought, like you say, she was outstanding for large parts of it, but there was that reluctance to shoot from long range and that led to a few turnovers. So Mm. she just got pipped for me by Carla Pretorius. Mm. I mean... Also, honourable mention to Mawaini. I think there were points where she was on fire in this series. But I think, you know, Pretorius was quite quiet in that first game against New Zealand, but it was her first time playing a full 60 on her first game back to international netball post Bubba and against a quality side like the Ferns. Like that's that's pretty impressive for mm. you know your your re-entry back into international netball. And then on game two, she broke England hearts. <laughs> And she had that intercept um, just after Mawaini had been suspended. And I think she, well, to be fair, all of South Africa in this game played out of their skins. And I think the the shining light for me is that her partnership with Mawaini, it, it was just sublime. Um, she really sets the court alight with her ability to, to read the game. And if you watch that that intercept again just watch her eyes flick to Housby running towards the edge of the circle and then the ability to react that quickly really cleanly like that getting that arm in it, it was sensational um and I think her defensive partnership with Mawaini gave real confidence to the rest of the team yeah um and so that's partly for me along with the impact of Plummer why they were able to shine as brightly as they did as, as a squad yeah, I mean, people are talking again about best goal defence in the world, etc. I will highlight one key point, though, not to take anything away from Pretorius. Van der Merwe goes offside in that passage of play, Have you wa- if you watch the video. So actually, if the umpire had spotted that, it could have been a very different story. But there we are. Anyway, just bitter it's England fan over here. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> and who's your last one, Luce, for Australia? Oh, I mean, again, this is really hard to pick, but not for the same reasons as England was hard to pick. There was too many to choose Mm. from rather than not enough. Honourable mention to Steph Wood, but I have gone for Liz Watson. Mm. Like I said earlier, she's just entered God tier. So, right, check out these stats. Okay, first game versus the Roses. She has 41 feeds. She's uh, top five, like the number one for goal assists, feeds and centre passes. (laughs) Game two, it gets better, it gets better. Game two versus the Ferns, 43 feeds and also number one for feeds and goal assists. She was then rested, understandably, against South Africa. And then in that final against the Ferns, she had 46 feeds. She was top for feeds on court, top for goal assists, second for centre pass receives. And she had zero general play turnovers in that entire game. And when you think about how contested and how fiery, how spicy that game was, that, with those stats, is sen bloody sational. Yeah. I mean, what what can you say? Like, her work rate is almost unrivaled, I think. And I think you alluded to that earlier. And I also think that she's 
yeah, part of her success is the relationship that she's built with Hadley, who I actually think is a little bit of an unsung hero sometimes for the Aussie mm. team. There's lots of talk about her combination with Maloney at the Vixens, um, but I actually think that her and Hadley are just ticking over so beautifully. She's clearly a dream to work with, no matter who she's got in centre, like she's just killing it. And I think it's also worth mentioning in terms of stats that in all of the games bar the final, she also, on top of the feeds, etc., had intercepts, gains and deflections to her name as well. It was only the final where she didn't have those kind of defensive stats against her name. I mean, I'm exhausted just saying all of yeah. that. I mean, 46 feeds against New Zealand. I mean, I'd what? like to see another player who can put those sorts of numbers up. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Yeah. Uh, incredibly, incredibly good. I have to say that she would be up there as the best netball player in the world. I think she's certainly in contention. For me, it's still Gretel Boretta, personally. And I think Fowler's got to be up there as well. But she definitely top three, yeah. hands down. Best wing attack in the world. Be- without doubt. Yeah. yeah. Unquestionably. Mm-hmm. So after the break, we chat to the legendary Norma Plummer about her side's performance in the quad series. It is such a pleasure to welcome Norma Plummer back onto the pod. How are you doing, Norms? Oh, not too bad. Sort of finally got a bit of sleep. I know you've had a nightmare journey back from South Africa, caught in all those delays and glad you are all back safely in Australia now. And obviously it was a fantastic quad series from a fan perspective, lots to talk about. And we'll dive straight in with some questions about South Africa's performance. So they may have come forth in the end, but you guys really impressed at times and obviously took quarters off some of the top teams. And of course, we couldn't help but acknowledge your incredible coaching achievement, reaching your 150th match as head coach on day two against England. So what are your reflections on this milestone achievement? Oh, firstly, funny thing was, until Todd Miller told me, I had no idea. (laughs) I sort of don't keep tabs, but, um, yeah, it was nice, uh, a nice achievement, I guess, but um, one I didn't ever think that I was aiming for because I had coached Australia and I thought that would be it, and then next minute, being back with South Africa, so I guess that's that's helped put, pull up the numbers. But, um, yes, with South Africa, it was great to see Carla Pretorius back. She's such an asset and she really got better every game. You know, you could see the instinct starting to come and her combination with Pumza Mawali was, uh, you know, exceptional at times and um, we were... We were pretty pleased, Nicole Cusack and I, overall. We knew they were off the pace when we went back in to take over uh, and we knew that we had a lot of work. But in, you know, like we had just a, a couple of weeks before we actually went into the quad series and I think in that time we started to pull things back. But we still got a long way to go and there's still players that, you know, El Murray, Vandermeer and... Um, also, Nicola Smith, who are playing for Leeds this year, uh, once they got over their rehab and are back on track and they take off and get some match play under their belt, they will be also well and truly considered for the final team. And so, you know, that gives you a bit of heart. You know, you've got even stronger depth you can bring back in before Worlds. 
Mm, yeah, exactly. And it will be quite a journey, I think, for you between now and obviously the World Cup come July with a lot of progress to be made. And we'll come back to the um, tour to Australia for the training camp, which um, has recently been announced a bit later on. Um, but just wanted to pick up on your appointment as South African coach again. We know that it caused a fair bit of controversy within Netball South Africa. And obviously, Direct Badenhorst is actually suing Netball South Africa for her dismissal. So we read that you were asked if you wanted to resume the job shortly after the Commonwealth Games and you took a bit of time away to think about it. What was your initial reaction when South Africa approached you? Well, yeah, I guess I was a bit disappointed um, in the mentor role. It um, didn't seem to work um, for the coaching structure then. And so... I mean, but I mean, that was, um, you know, a preference. And so I, I was happy just to go off and, you know, know I'd done my bit previously. And uh, so they kept ringing, like, um, and then the players are really asked. And I think, um, you know, the persistence of that in the end, I just said to Nick, you know, they're really clamouring you know, they want to put on a good show for World Cup and um, what do we do? Do we go back and help or do we just let them flounder? And in the end we decided, you know, you know, we, we'll go back and assist them for World Cup because there'll be a lot of retirements within the team after that and, um, you know, I think that's probably um, a good thing. They've got to keep developing and, and uh, that's what we're trying to do is certainly help them identify players and bring them into the fold, even though at the moment they're invitees, but let them know they've been identified and they can keep building. But, I I mean, I just love the players and they work so hard and they do anything for you, you know. That, and But I, what, I, what I liked most of all was we really found the happiness back in them. You know, we they were a little, pretty down, I guess, and... Um, you know, then within a few a few days, we got all the laughter back, and you know the the jokes were coming. And you know, I mean, I've been around a long time now. If you can't create a happy team, you're going to be in trouble. You've got to have a happy team, and you know, and there's different levels of happiness. Of course, there's different levels on the way you would have it in an Australian team to what you would have with South Africa, and you know that just comes with experience on how to handle that. Because mm, obviously, I mean, South Africa's performance in the Commonwealth Games, they will not have been pleased with that sixth place finish for them. I mean, probably one of their worst on record and and really just uh, I'm intrigued about what you said about the morale being really low. And with your appointment obviously taking place just eight months before the Netball World Cup, and you've obviously got minimal time with all the team as they'll be on their domestic duties, etc. So how will you go about turning this team from a sixth-place Commonwealth Games squad into medal contenders? Well, yeah, that's that's going to be tough. And as I said to Nipple South Africa, look, I can't make you promises that I I don't know whether or not we can achieve. All I can tell you that we'll certainly give it a best shot and everybody will know we're back. But um, now that all of the girls, they would, well, yeah, they'd be either flown out yesterday or last night, they would be going over now. We've got seven in UK and 
course, Pretorius is back with uh, Lightning in Australia. And then, so you got Pumza, um, Bongi, Nicole, the Wink Goal Attack, um, Zette Grizzle and KC. They're all the players that have sort of been left behind. And so they didn't want to, well, I know Pumza and Bungi didn't want to go overseas again. I'm not sure whether the others got an invite. But um, then we've topped up with some the rest of the squad and some some new players and also about four players that were with the President's 12 uh, when we played Scotland. Some really nice talent there. So we're going to, they're coming out to Australia and they'll be here on the 11th of February and they're coming into Melbourne, which is where I live, and we'll, we will be getting um, practice matches against Vixens and top state league teams that are very high standard. So that's also to try and, you know, keep the intensity up for them. And then we're back there again in March for a camp, so it'll only be in about another couple of weeks and we'll fly back there. We'll go back in May and run more camps. And then once we leave, uh, it'll be July um, because June will be before they all come back in anyway and they'll need a couple of weeks rest, so we'll pick it up in July before the World Cup. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's like as far as time, uh, we've got a lot of work to do, but we try and specialise what we know we need and, um, and in the areas that um, you have to target to try and bring that up. And it's very important, like... Uh, we were caught out with the hands over. We worked on it, but until some of these players actually experience it, I think New Zealand in that second quarter was a bit of a shock to the system for some of them because they're a fairly tall side. So that's something that we need to put a lot more pressure on in training so that they totally understand what it means. And I think after the quad, they've got an idea now. As I say, you always got to experience. You can practice it, but until that actually happens on court in a game, and then you start to realise. Mm. And it's quite interesting you you talking there. It feels like it's almost a bit stop start now for you in terms of the contact time that you'll have with them. And it, I guess, that brings into question how much focus when you come to the World Cup is going to be on that success and that winning and what what does that look like for South Africa or is it more focused on that building the next generation with those expected retirements? Oh, well, we're definitely going for the win, Lucy. There's no two ways about that. I never walk out there and think, you know, we're going to lose this. But um, I also am a realist and I know where we sit in the big picture. I think for South Africa, they'll want to put on the best show they possibly can. We've got another hard draw. We don't seem to be able to get out of the same draw all the time. We've always got Australia and Jamaica. And as you know, if we hadn't got over Jamaica at the World Cup, uh, we wouldn't have even got to play off in the finals and finish fourth. So Jamaica will be very aware of us now. They know um, they were burnt badly there and so... I think, uh, yeah, we've got a tough road ahead of us to actually even, you know, climb in there. But if we can, if we could get, you know, back into the floor, it would be fantastic. But it's going to be, take a lot of work. Yeah, I think so. I think the standard of international netball has just increased dramatically in the last sort of 
four four or five years. And Jamaica, I mean, obviously making their first final at the Commonwealth Games last year. I think they're most likely going to be in, in red hot form. I think from an England perspective, we're looking slightly concerned at the moment, but that's a, a probably a whole nother podcast. I don't think it's just um, England. I think everybody's very aware of Jamaica, but mm. you've got to remember they've got seven of them playing in our, our league in Australia. Now, if anything's developed players, it's that league because all of your uh, English players have been there now. They know what it's about. They play a better standard. And Jamaica, although they don't get together like much at home, they don't need to. All they need to do is walk on the court together because they've got the base of everything when they turn up. There's nothing they miss out on because, you know, really Australia has done a a great job um, to international netball, I think, just allowing all these players to come in. Yeah, and that's what you want, isn't it? Because you want to win because you're the best and you've given others the opportunity to show what they can do as well. So I really like that sort of levelling of the playing field as well. And you've obviously had some of your South Africa players playing out in Australia and now back um, in South Africa, for example, Bongi and um, Pumza, like you mentioned. What do you think they learnt from that experience that they can now bring back into the South Africa environment? Yeah, they, they learned a lot. That uh, It's the intensity and the sheer um, constant pressure. That's what they don't get in their own um, competition. I mean, they get it at a, a lower level. But once you step up into these leagues, I mean, that is, well, it, I, I always say as the Australian League, Suncorp, is really the NBA of Nipple, and that's why everybody wants to be in it. But they also, I know with Pumza, you know, they learn about the, the constant pressure but how to sustain and they learn how to step up and maintain it for the four quarters and that's what you need. Often we're, we've been on the money for three quarters and haven't quite been able to sustain that and that's been because some players, you know, fade off a bit because they just haven't been under that pressure all the time if they played in their own league. So, yeah, that's the – I think that's what it brings is, you know, as I say, the NBA style, Mm. just constant pressure and being world-class really. Mm. And you were obviously under a lot of pressure at the quad series in terms of those performances put out by New Zealand, Australia, and you did manage to get the draw against England. So how would you assess the series overall from a South Africa perspective? Would you say it was successful? Was getting that draw, uh, you know, would you celebrate that like a win or no? Uh, Well, I felt we could have won it. (laughs) We blew it in the last few minutes. I think we'll five up. and. you know, we just, you know, wrong choice of pass. I think we had two breaks on a centre pass where you've just handed the opposition four goals when you do that right in the dying stages. So that uh, brought England back into the game. So, um, but Pretorius's interception <laughs> at the dying stages with Pumza being sent off, which I might add, I think was totally out of order. I don't agree with that um, decision by that umpire. I think that we looked at every defender that was playing from all the teams. Pumza had 15 contacts for the whole game, you know, so you spread that over each quarter, maybe 4.5 
but so did Jury, so did um, Bruce had 12 or 13. Well, I think one of your own English players had uh, same sort of amount. It might have been Jeeva had 11. You know what I mean? It was like 15, you know, when I, and then she was going for the ball, but I don't know what it is. New Zealand umpires seem to target her. And there's the only other time she's been sent off is with Jono. So, I mean, you know, you wonder what they're looking at. And that's, I did speak to them afterwards. Why? Why is one end, we haven't changed our style of game, and then at the other end it comes becomes different. So there's that's where, from a coaching point of view and a player, I've said we we don't connect with the umpires because we're not allowed to talk to one another. We should have we should have conferences where we you know get together, put up scenarios, get to see how they want to um, umpire that, and then we can show how we believe the player is clean and you know is is damn good at doing what she does because I think they don't realise the ability of some of these players now. So, yeah, um, that to me was a bit disappointing. So, you know, and, but Notorious, my God, she just saved the day. I couldn't believe what she <laughs> pulled in. You know, it was a three-on-one and she's just found the ball, you know. It was excellent. So, yeah, it was was interesting um, overall. I'd... I actually, we walked away, Nicole and I, and thought, yeah, much better than we thought and maybe we're not as far off the pace as we anticipated, but we know by the time we pick the World Cup side, it's going to be a different team probably again. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested about what you said there about the umpiring consistency because you're right in saying that the game has evolved so much and I don't know if there's really the support there for the umpires yet to bring them on that journey and to provide more opportunities for them to see the players in action. What do you think would help that that situation? Is it just more time and video analysis and and all that sort of thing or or is there anything else do you think we could do to bring the umpires forward? So in Australia Years ago, before the umpires became their their own sort of group, remember we used to travel with our own umpire back in the early days, but we used to have, you know, like um, rules in action. So all the umpires would come in and the coaches would come in. And as I said, we'd put up different scenarios and, and, and look at it from a, an umpire's point of view and look at it from the player's point of view. And it was fantastic. I think that just helped um, understanding about the game all over. Well, now there's nothing like that. So I did speak to the officials there and said, well, until you decide, and IFNA decides, or sorry, well, Nepal decides, that it's an area that can be looked at and absolutely uh, would be a benefit for the whole sport, you know, I think it's going to stay where it is, inconsistency, so from one end on the court to the other because you're getting two different countries at each end. So, you know, the the rules are there. So we should be all able to interpret them the same way, but I, mm. I don't think we are. Mm. So it would be a massive benefit to be able to do that, even if they did it before a World Cup probably would be ideal. 
Yeah, I was exactly thinking that as well, because sometimes we do see in the World Cup situation where discrepancy in umpiring is is really apparent and, and that changes end to end. And and also things like umpires knowing when a player is on the caution at the other end and having a bit more communication and support perhaps from the um, bench officials. But that's that's a whole another kettle of fish as well. But I just want to focus on South Africa a bit more and the landscape in world netball has changed so much since your days coaching Australia. And it's a lot closer up at the top, as we mentioned. And we saw obviously some really good patches from South Africa in this series, but they weren't able to secure that win. What does South Africa need to do to bridge the gap between them and the top four, three or four nations? Oh, look, I tell South Africa all the time that they need to get a full-time National League. Um, eight teams have all the proteas spread in those teams and kick the best of the best and put their best coaches on those eight teams and virtually run a competition like England and New Zealand and Australia have got. Well, that's what they don't have at the moment. So it's a bit more ad hoc on when they actually have any competition of a standard like the TNL, what that would create by that would be they'd start to create a, a competition that would be growing all the time. And as I've said to them, even down the track it would get to the stage where they could invite Australians to come in and play there and the English players to boost it and keep it up there and it would become more of a professional-type league. But... I think it's still a long way off for them, and that's sad. So with the limited resources they have that way, they're doing a fantastic job, these players. Um, as I say, the talent's there. They need the know-how. So I guess at this stage it's for Nicole and I to keep trying to give them the know-how like we have in the past, and you do see the changes. I think I don't know if you saw that passage of play when Pumza intercepted, it went down the court. It was it was magic, and that was on Australia. So when we see that type of thing, when we know they're starting to get the picture, but you have to be repetition all the time. Coach it, coach it, because it's all right to put up. So if I was doing a screen for the shooters or something, it's all right to do that session. But if you don't repeat that every every training session for 12 months and even more before it sinks in up here in play situation, because players go out and they play, sometimes they're still not seeing the keys. But as they mature on it, and if you do constantly keep playing that and teaching them and teaching them, it all of a sudden will come and it's a delight when it does and you see it from the sideline when it happens, you know you're getting through. So there's so much of that to be done and we'll just give it our best shot at this stage. And I, I think you're you're completely right there about it being a building process and, and a long journey to get those players, you know, where, where they need to be in terms of their skill level and their execution and, and all of that stuff, especially with the younger players. And so you mentioned that you're taking South Africa through to the World Cup. Would, would you consider continuing on after that? And if not, how will you integrate a new head coach successfully into the fold? Oh, well, there are discussions I would have to have with um, Nepal South Africa. Um, they, they will also have 
um, after World Cup, maybe some changes even at the top uh, administrative-wise. I think um, Blanche Della de Grew, the CEO, is retiring, so she might move out around about September after everything has had the wash-up. I think in the pipeline there could be a game between South Africa and Australia. I think Australia may be putting out an invitation for them to come across around about October. If that happens and I did stay on to coach that, well, that would be a prime time for them to let us take a, a new coach with us and maybe even uh, sit on the bench and, and actually, you know, coach it while we sit there with her and support. But, you know, we just haven't had time to even discuss that as yet. We're not going to keep going to the end of <laughs> my life. <laughs> I have to give up some stage, and I've tried a few times, but then <laughs> and to be honest with you, Lucy, while this is still working, it's fine. But if this wasn't working, then I wouldn't do it. Oh no, Norma, we we can't keep you down. I'm I'm sure you just keep <laughs> coming back, and you've got so much knowledge and and skills to pass on. It's it's amazing that you're you're back in this kind of head coach role. But we know you've done a lot of mentoring as well. I think you were mentoring Jess Thelby for for a time. Yeah, How do you? How do you find those experiences compared to being in a head coach role? Is it difficult for you to step back? Uh, yeah, frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, very frustrating. And I've decided maybe that's not for me. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, um, because you've got to let people be be themselves and they've got to be their own person. It's no issue dictating but all you can do in those situations is give advice when you see it or when you're asked and, you know, more or less identify areas that maybe there's a hole um, that they need to think about closing up. But it, it is it is tough when you're sitting back and you're watching all the time and, you you know, and, it, and again, the other thing is, is how, how much the coach wants to work with you. As I said, you're there to mentor. You're not there to run in and take over. Um, I mean, I didn't do any coaching of the players um, with South Africa at the Com Games. Uh, was available to if they wanted, but never got asked. And uh, I'd discuss a few things with with Jess. Uh, Jess was always very open to it all. But um, you know, and it, like if I bring it back to myself. I'm better sitting in the lead, the lead seat. You know, to me, then I'm achieving. I find it difficult, but you know, that's that's the role of a mentor. And as I said, maybe that's not for me. Well, yeah, yeah, I think it's definitely clear that you you need to be in the driving seat, and and obviously, fantastic again that you're you're back for South Africa. I think they needed some kind of steadying the ship. It, it seemed like just such an unhappy camp after the Commonwealth Games, and you got the sense that with obviously the expectation of the World Cup being on home soil, that they really needed to not just for themselves kind of pull it out the bag, but also for the reputation of the sport in that country, you know, that the impact that that will have. And obviously we know that this is the first time that a Netball World Cup has been held on African soil and there's a, a huge amount of anticipation for the event. So do you think that as the host nation, there's additional pressure on South Africa to perform? And how will you kind of manage that within your squad? Well, I think... From South Africa's point of view, 
you know, there was a few hiccups in this quad series, but that's what it was all about. It was about trial and error and testing the water and seeing where the shortfall was and now they, they've got something to gauge to go forward. Uh, I was never, uh, I know there's a lot of people who were against South Africa getting it for the World Cup. I know New Zealand won it because it was their centenary. But, you know, if Africa don't get a chance to develop the sport, nothing's going to change forever, you know, because we needed to, to go into Africa to run a World Cup. It can't always be Australia, New Zealand and England. Australia, New Zealand, when we got Singapore in there once, you know, Fiji were going to have it but had a, a coup and it still didn't happen. It went back to New Zealand. You know, it can't be down south all the time. It has to be that other countries get a chance if they believe they can run it, if we're going to grow the sport. So to me it's only fair that they are given that opportunity. It'll, it will inspire and it will have, you know, kids probably seeing the game at a massive level that they haven't seen before. And I think it'll be a wonderful thing myself to grow the sport because we've got to move. We've got to keep going forward if the, the sport is going to survive and not be just there, you know, same as, same as. We need coaches too that could go into Uganda and Malawi and work with their coaches because if we can do with South Africa, uh, Nick and I, to see those players come up and rise, you can imagine what it would be like in the other countries if they had support from other coaches around the world that have been successful and, um, you know, they've got the talent. The talent's there. I mean, I, I look at the talent with South Africa and some of the kids are like, but they're, they're, they're just not given the pathways to go forward, you know. So, yeah, um, I think it's going to be a great thing. And also Cape Town is magnificent. You couldn't get a better backdrop for a World Cup than Cape Town. It is fantastic. And all the area around is beautiful, the wineries and the places to see and going out on the yachts. and Yeah, you um, had me at wineries, Norma. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I know, but... The people that go and visit will have heaps to do to go to the game parks afterwards, mm. everything. It's all there for the asking, but it's certainly a beautiful city. Yeah. Well, I think if people aren't already inspired to go to the World Cup, I'm sure there will be after that, Norma. I think, yeah, it's it's just such a pinnacle event for the sport and for it to be held on African soil for the first time is amazing milestone. Norma, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast again. It's been really fantastic to chat with you. I'm glad you got settled back into Australia and best of luck with the training camp. I, I feel like it's sort of like a bit of like a Norma's boot camp in Australia. I, I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall, actually, on that one um and best of luck for the world cup and take care thank you nice to see you again bye That was such a fantastic interview with Coach Norma. <laughs> what a legend. She is Pure just legend. amazing, an icon of our sport. 78 years old or 78 years young, you yeah, could say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Love that. I want to have as much sass as, as she does when I'm 78, <laughs> for sure. I still just Dolls. remember the last time we recorded with her, she rocked up with a massive G&T in her hands on Zoom. Yeah. I was like, you are an icon. Iconic, yeah. <laughs> So finally, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, unfortunately, we haven't been able to get a time with Jess to discuss England's performance, but we're here and we'll give you a little run through of all the key talking points anyway. So, Luce, what were your headlines and key questions coming out of this series? Oh, God, I mean, how long have you got, really? Um <laughs> How long is we could stream? write a doctoral thesis on this quad series alone from an England perspective. Mate, prepare yourself for my dissertation coming out <laughs> <laughs> very soon. Um, I mean, overall impressions, I was quite disappointed, actually, with England. I think it's like what we said in the Jamaica series. We're just lacking that consistency. Um, and I don't think that this series kind of provided any clarity or any progress on that front. Is a, a bit of a shame. There's obviously been a lot of talk online um, and even on Sky, actually. He's one of the, the preview bits before the match about whether Jess will be the coach to lead us into the World Cup in the summer. I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Luce? I think she will be. I think that they're going to uh, sort of see how how the World Cup goes and then maybe make a decision after that. But I mean, we have seen in other sports that even in a World Cup year, you know, it's still possible for there to be a change of leadership. You know, look at what's happened with England rugby recently after they performed so poorly in the autumn internationals and obviously South Africa with a new coach, you know, not too far away from the World Cup as well. I think now it is a bit too late. And also, I don't know that anyone who would be the right person to take over the role is available to step into those shoes just at the moment. But we'll have to wait and see whether uh, Jess wants to continue whether you know there's uh, an option for her to continue after the World Cup as well I think that that will be under some big discussion uh, based on the performance of England but don't forget as well that our performances you know they haven't been bad but they haven't been great since Serena and I think that that's a big factor to consider as well I was watching some clips of the quad series from last year the other day and ha having her on court you know it it is massive the amount of experience that we lost when she retired. So I don't think that can be taken for granted. And not just Serena, having Beth Cobden on court yep. as well, like that combination, ha Ebony, having lost the both of Stacey them. Stacey Francis Bayman, mm -hmm. you know. All that experience is is major. A lot of questions, isn't it? But we just have to watch this space and see mm. what happens with the World Cup and manifest that gold medal. The key thing for England for me was around uh, some of the decision-making that took place on court, some of the selection choices, you know, as we referenced earlier with the shooting circle of of Cheen and SDL, I think that was, that sort of left me scratching my head a little bit. And when it comes down to selection choices as well, obviously we saw Joe Harton was still in the squad, yet we know she's been carrying that injury for quite a while now. So I think that has to be part of it as well. And I just can't, Whereas with Knowles, take that the Australia game, for example, not the final, the one prior, even when she put out an entirely different squad in that second half, I could still kind of, I could trace her logic. I could see her steps, whether I was correct or not, I don't know, but um, you, you can kind of see where she's coming from. Whereas I don't get that same feeling with, with Jess and with England at the moment. 
Yeah, I have to agree. And I think that point that you brought up about injured players and I think player loading as well is something really important to consider. I mean, we needed test matches, obviously, in this window, but we've now had a Jamaica series, a quad series going straight into domestic seasons. And we've got players who are carrying injuries or have had a few niggles here and there. So whether that could have been managed better, whether there needed to be better communication about what was happening in terms of players being rested or managed. I think Joe Hart and flying all the way to South Africa, leaving the group halfway through is a massive red flag for me. I mean, mm. why would you not either, like Kath Cox said, just send her home early or have her around the environment to support and bring up those young shooters that you're exposing? There's, there's yeah, there's, I think some real question marks around the decision-making of not only the selection, but also, like you say, the who was put out on the court at what times. And that doesn't necessarily fill me with confidence going into a World Cup where the margins are so small, even with those lower rank relations, you know, your Malawis, etc. You've got to make the right decisions at the right time. And that goes for the players on court and the coaching staff. Yeah, I, I think you're completely right. It's, again, so many questions to be asked there. Another key thing for England for me is the amount of online chatter we've had, which on the one hand is incredible. Like how engaged is the netball community now compared mm. to even just you know two, three years ago? Absolutely pivotal the success of our sport that this is this continues, that this is encouraged. And there's been a lot of talk about what's what's you know overstepping the mark what's personal versus what's professional mm. um and i think you know we we need to be able to elevate our sport into that fully professional status by being able to have these critical conversations and that includes judging uh, or you know remarking on coaching decisions on individual performances we absolutely should be able to have that but at no point should anyone be sliding into any players dms or any coaches dms to you know, throw their opinion at them or to share any sort of vile abuse. Absolutely not. In no sport is that acceptable. Um, yeah. But I, I do think that we should be allowed to critique in a constructive manner and we shouldn't be, that That to me isn't personal. That's not crossing yeah. the line. Yeah, I think it's fair to say, you know, Nat Metcalf didn't have her best game today. But if you DM Nat Metcalf and say, you're a piece of crap, why are you in the England team? Yeah, that outrageous. is just so totally unacceptable. All in all, the positive impact of conversations is is a massive gain. And unfortunately, there are there are player impacts along the way, but it's about how the clubs and the teams manage that. And I think there's a greater responsibility on on them and, and national governing bodies to put processes in place to stop abuse of players and coaches, but not to stop encouraging conversation as long yeah. as it's constructive. Yeah, to put those processes in place, but to also take us along the journey with them, which is something mm. we've spoken about before. Um, yeah. Absolutely pivotal. But yeah, I mean, those are kind of the key things for me from an England perspective. And obviously the next step is looking forward or looking ahead to the World Cup. I think given the way that the pools are, I think we should finals. Mm. After that, it is anyone's game. And I do kind of feel sorry for Paul C and Paul D. I think they've got a really tough time. Man. Yeah, they've got such a tough side of the pot. I think, yeah, we're getting away with it slightly. <laughs> I mean, no no disrespect to any of those kind of lower ranked nations, but I think we've got a what should be a comfortable run into the semis and that's where we'll, we'll face our really 
toughest matches. Luckily, we we're most likely to play Australia in the lead up to that. So that would be really good preparation for us from a kind of playing that really intense physical style perspective. But yeah, I have to say, I think, yeah, South Africa, Jamaica, Uganda, Zealand, Uganda on the other yeah. side, it's it's really going to be tough for those nations. But I think the most interesting thing for me is going to be about selection because I think there's still so many question marks around the England selection. I think you could probably select the Aussie team and I think you could probably select the Kiwis and you could definitely select Jamaica and South Africa. But who's to say what they're going to go with from an England perspective? I mean, we've still got this real question about the midcourt, that fourth defender spot still up for grabs, the fourth shooter spot also up for grabs. I, yeah, I don't know, to be honest with you position in all three areas of the court and I don't know if any of the other top nations have that question mark to the extent that we have which is I wouldn't say so yeah yeah I do no I have to agree massive questions about how people are going to go who else is going to pop their little hand up I think for England a lot more weight is going to come down to how they perform at domestic level than any of the other nations so Mm. Yeah, watch this space. So we must finish. This has yeah. gone way too long. Yep, yep. Okay, right. Stopping now. Everyone, thank you so, so much for listening to this episode of Quarter Time. We can't wait to bring you more Netball Chat with our Netball Super League preview episode and a super special guest very soon. Yeah, send us in your thoughts on who you think it's going to be. Ooh, and there's yeah. no prizes available for the winner except Eternal Glory. And bragging rights. Yep. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Quarter Time Pod for the latest netball updates. Get involved in the conversation online by letting us know what you thought of the matches in this quad series and which players have stood out for you. We would also really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review as it helps other people to find the podcast. If you enjoy listening to us, please let us know. If you don't, then keep it to yourself and do spread the word with your netball power so that even more people can get involved. Take care, everyone, and see you soon. Bye. Bye.